I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tobacito. So happy to have you here today. I love doing this with you, Kev. I do, too. It seems like it's been a while, also. It's, it's well, like we got kind of carried away with summer vacation. You've been cruising. Yeah. And you've you, been boozing and cruising. You had to jet off to Cabo. <laughs> <laughs> we sound so cool. <laughs> Dorks. <laughs> anyway, happy to be back in the studio here with you all, and so excited for this week um, to have a a wonderful guest that was recommended to me by a dear, dear friend of mine, Melinda Russ, mutual dear friend of ours. Um, I have in the studio today a gentleman named Colonel Lewis. Colonel Lewis, I don't even know your last name. This Harrell. Lewis Harrell. Harrell? Yes. yes. H-E- H-A-R-R-E-L-L. Okay. That's it. Okay. But I'm going to call you Colonel? How about Lewis? Lewis? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you want. Sure. Sure. Uh, Before we start, though, I want to thank Judy Drew uh, from St. Louis, Missouri, who is sponsoring this episode of The Remedy. Judy is my children's grandmother, and she's just the sweetest person in the world and um, always a huge cheerleader and supporter, and she is sponsoring this episode. So thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Yes, thank you for listening and for always being such a cheerleader of whatever I do. You always have been, and I know you always will be. Um, Okay, so today um, I'm very excited about this conversation. So a couple weeks ago, what was it, two or three weeks ago, we had Ty in here. Yes, yes. Who, um, Very gripping story. Oh, it's just amazing, amazing time with Ty um, from Men of Nehemiah and also um, Austin Street Center. And he shared his beautiful story with us of redemption and recovery. And, I mean, it was something. Um, and... And he mentioned you several times in the podcast as someone who had inspired him and influenced him and challenged him. Sure. <laughs> he said sometimes <laughs> you made him real mad. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't remember if he said that on or off air, but he was like he he was he was rough on me. You did. <laughs> Ty's amazing. Yeah, I think Ty's he said at the beginning it was a love-hate thing. So. Yeah, 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 a little bit of a love-hate. Yeah, well, iron sharpens iron. Yes, that, yeah. amen to that. Yes. Okay, so, Louis, where were you born? Toul Rosier, France. Whoa. Yeah, I'm a military brat. Oh. My, my father was in the service. And, okay. And then we were stationed, I believe, in, at that time in Stuttgart. But there was an Air Force hospital in France, and that's where I was born. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. L- <laughs> very little memory of overseas, but yeah, yeah. When did you move back here to the States? I think it was about nine or, about nine or ten years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. So where all did you live before then? Oh, man. Frankfurt, Stuttgart, uh, uh, Fort Hood, 
Fort Eustis, Virginia, Fort Hood, Texas, uh, Fort Seal, Oklahoma. You kind of move around a lot, but uh, I think my father at the end became a recruiter, and he was from New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. And so eventually uh, we settled there. Okay. So is that where you were when you were 9 or 10, where you came back to? Yes. So is New Orleans home for you? It is. It is. Okay. Um, I've been in Texas since 2005. So I tried. I get to New Orleans three or four times a year, but um, Dallas is home now. Oh, but do you miss New Orleans? You know what? The, uh, the greatest food and greatest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And in some, uh, I make it back four times a year yeah. because uh, you know I have because the people uh, and the food. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. So, so, you still have family there? I do. I, I do. I'm my uh, um, my mother's brother. And I have a host of cousins and, and, and old friends. Okay. And so what do you do today? Let's fast forward and, and, and talk about what you do today. And then I want to talk about how you got there. Sure. I'm executive director of the Men of Nehemiah, founder okay. here in Dallas, Texas. And so um, on a daily basis, I basically, I, I teach about three times, about three times a week. Mm-hmm. By the grace of God, writing a, um, with the help of a writer, writing a book. Wow. And um, I still uh, kind of mentor and tie and a couple of other guys to take over, but I still lead the worship, a worship service for the homeless weekly. Mm -hmm. And um, basically that's about, that's about what my days look like nowadays. But I'm heavily involved, of course, with the, uh, with the chief operating officer and the inner mechanics as, as the organization grows. So you started, you founded yes. the Men of Nehemiah. Let's and the one in Dallas, yes. The, the one in Dallas. Okay, I didn't know there were, so did it exist before you? My father in the late 80s started a church in, in the late 80s, and from that church in New Orleans, Living Witness Church of God in Christ, he started the Men of Nehemiah there. Mm -hmm. to help me get clean, to help me get sober, to help get me um, on the right track. It is no longer operating in New Orleans. My father passed in the late 90s, mm -hmm. and so his vision kind of uh, went away there, and the pastor took another path. And, but um, post-Katrina here in Texas, I, I restarted it. And d did Katrina bring you here? It did. Oh, wow. It did. Wow. We're one of the lucky ones that got you. There's so many wonderful people I've met from New Orleans who came because yeah. of Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think it's, we, it's we won. <laughs> <laughs> we won. So tell me about um tell me about why you started Men of Nehemiah here. Um you know, we got we got to Texas and I um we landed because of my pastor. We landed in Weatherford, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weatherford is a small town west of Fort Worth. Very few brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, unlikely <laughs> town mm -hmm. that I would be in, uh, my wife and I, my daughter, and um, we loved it. She was a nurse, I was in construction, and we, we came there because initially because the Church of God campgrounds and my pastor was there. Maybe uh, 150, 175 people from New Orleans were on the campgrounds. But we ended up liking the local school district and um, just ended up loving the town. Wow. So eventually we, we bought a house there. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, um, you know, we just, if you fast forward, uh, matter of fact, August, August um, 14th, 2009, um, my wife had an aneurysm mm. and she passed. And it, it was just, it was just earth shattering for me. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was really crazy time of my life. In, but, uh, in what year? What year? Uh, 2009. 2009. 2009. And what was the date? Did you say? August 14th. Yeah, it's almost oh, it's a tenth year anniversary oh. coming up. Coming up now. Coming up now. Wow. Um, How is that date for you? You know what? Almost without purposely uh, purposely thinking about it, there's normally some actions or some stuff that just um, it it takes me back there to that to a whole nother like chapter of life, mm -hmm. and. Um, I, st I still grieve. I still grieve. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest um, um, whatever uh, marks or, sure. or uh, moments in my life. She had to be young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think Karen was uh, 40, 48. Oh my God. When, when, when she passed. And we were laughing and talking um, oh. that morning and that evening. And she just goes in the room, and I, I don't know what I'm doing, maybe hollering at the uh, news on TV. And um, she walks in the, in the living room and said, you know, I really feel bad. I think I want to go to the doctor. Let's go to the hospital. And um, we were there all that night and early that morning, they decided to, to do the helicopter thing and she just never woke up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's my age. I'm 48. Really? Yes. Never would have thought. <laughs> Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, you're, you're, I'm that age. I can't imagine. Yeah. I feel like I have so much life to live. Yeah, it's just, um, it makes you think. It, it, it just, you know, life is so fragile. It is. It, it's, it's fragile. And, and people say that, and people yeah. hear that, and people s experience that, and then you don't really know what that means until it happens to you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you never forget you oh. never forget yeah and 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 i think I, I think i was going where um how how this got started yeah. here and you know we got but uh, previous to that i was kind of in construction and then you know we were rolling i was building new homes and uh right before that the housing market just fell and it was just a series of things but i still had inside of me i was just believing uh believing god i kept I'm a I'm a visionary guy, but I was believing God. I, I always saw men singing in my mind. I was always changing some secular song to a, to a gospel song because I can hear. We we're talking earlier about large amounts of men singing, mm -hmm. and so the market fell as far as uh, the housing market. Just kind of doing some renovations, and I, uh, my pastor said, "Man, if you really want to start a drug program, why don't you find a trailer? We'll put it behind my church." And um, I did that. Got it moved behind his church, and it was that summer. It was that summer Karen passed. And so there was a series of events after, um, after her death. I call them God events, or I actually call them spooky. But I, I met a man that um, at a high school football game, because my daughter danced for the Weatherford Bluebells. Mm -hmm. And um, so <laughs> it was. I love that they're called bluebells. <laughs> they are called. They're the rules. And so the mm -hmm. Weatherford bluebells. Mm -hmm. But it was important that we got her back to normal, mm -hmm. normalcy. 
and so she was dancing, and um, I think it was the first high school football game of the season, and saw uh, this guy that I had um, that had helped Katrina uh, evacuees earlier, maybe you know, how many, however many, four years earlier, you know, four and a half years earlier, and he was giving out washing machines and dryers, and I helped him lug them up one day. I hadn't seen him since since then. And um, he was at the high school football game, and we waved, and they said, man, I didn't know you were still in Weatherford, blah, blah, blah. Saw him again that Saturday at Walmart. You know, when you see somebody twice in a weekend, you're like, oh, hey. <laughs> God is my witness. Man, I saw this guy again in Cole's department store. <laughs> Evidently, I'm doing, too much <laughs> I'm doing too much shopping that weekend. But I came to find out because in Kohl's, I, I did the, you know, the proverbial, dude, you following me? <laughs> I literally, I said that to him and uh, he's an older gentleman and he says, uh, uh, we just did some pleasantries. So I asked him, I said, what do you do? And um, he said, I, I pioneer new ministries and I have ministries in 66 countries. And, you know, I don't care, the wind blew back then. I was boohooing. I'm a kind of high, strong, emotional guy. And I just had this feeling come over me, and I just asked this guy, I said, would you come to my house and talk to me? Mm-hmm. And his name was Roger McCastle, and he said, sure, man. And I just told him what I'd been through, um, and I told him what was inside of me, and I couldn't shake it. And he decided to mentor me um, over the next months, and he began to send me to different towns. And um, one day he was um, coming to Dallas, to talk to some bankers about some old stuff. And he said, how about I bring you and I drop you off in South Dallas and you just walk around. And I'm like, really? (laughs) But he did that and I knew, I knew the instant I started walking around South Dallas, that's that's where God was calling me. And that was, um, that was 10 years ago. How did you know? The smells, the pain, the the hopelessness Mm. in some, ways it reminded me of New Orleans. It reminded me of my addiction. I mean, it, you can smell it, you can feel it. But I was I, I was so at home with it. I was so familiar with it. You weren't afraid of it? Oh, no. I mean, no. <laughs> I say that because, let me tell you, when I go down there, I am afraid of it. Maybe you should be. <laughs> I think I'm called to it. I'm yes. not, not that, yes. not that, I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's anywhere in the hood or something like that. Un- to be unfamiliar with your surroundings, yeah. you know. It just gets my attention. It, and it should. It mm-hmm. should. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, and from there, we, um, um, of course, I thought Roger, because he was rich, right? So I thought he was going to give me a million bucks and let me start ministry. <laughs> <laughs> and Roger, uh, Roger, he, uh, he gave me, he said, I'm going to give you an apartment for six months, one apartment. Uh, two bedrooms, and he said, um, let's see what God says. Wow. And um, we just started, man. We just started uh, going under the bridges and and uh, praying with guys and telling guys that we were here to um, what God had done for us. And um, here we are today, 10 years later. We are at capacity with 50 guys. Uh, we've served hundreds and hundreds of guys. Um, God has just done some amazing things. So tell us about the program. Residential. What, all of it. What does, how does your program impact homeless, addicted? Uh, What do you do that 
that makes a difference in the lives of these men? Sure, sure. Our niche client, our niche um, person is one that's probably been through multiple rehabs. Mm -hmm. His family's probably uh, turned his back on him. He's burnt every bridge that he can. He's probably homeless, um, but there's still a burn inside of him. Um, sometimes I get them from the courts where uh, mm -hmm. the majority of guys locked up uh, or it's from some drug offense or something done to get drugs. But a guy that's on, you know, he has no other option, but he still burns to 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 want to get clean. Mm -hmm. um, and he walks through our door. We know him. Mm. We know him because uh, my personal addiction was long. Mm. And it was, uh, I ended up homeless. I ended up on the streets. I know the pain of that. Mm -hmm. And so um, what the, our approach is a, um, we use the military a boot camp style, and that is to restore uh, discipline, order, uh, a decorum about a man that that you can that you lose, as as the hopelessness of addiction robs you. Mm -hmm. We also this is the grace of God right here. I think we have one of the best clinical staffs going. Wow! Yeah, this is just all gravy from God. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that description. Uh, sure. It's just all gravy from God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna start saying that. <laughs> walk around saying gravy. <laughs> I love it. But it's, it's land. Yeah, we say that in New Orleans. But it's just it's just extra because sometimes God just shows off. So we just mm -hmm. we just have uh, we have L, LPC. We have special uh, consuls on contracts. I think we have three. Uh, a full-time uh, uh, LCDCs, licensed uh, chemical dependency drugs, and they're doing all kind of different therapies that one would have to have the ability to pay thirty, forty, yeah. uh, more thousand dollars a month to get this type wow. uh, of treatment. And we believe God would would allow us to do what these big-time centers that people on the streets could get that kind of love, that get that kind of treatment. And, do you go get them, or do they have to come to you? Do they have to be ready? Do they have to be banging down your door for help, or do you go find people who need help? How does we, it work? Uh, in order for recovery to work, a man has to be ready. Yeah. The Bible said that the prodigal came to himself, mm. and you have to really see the devastation uh, 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 of your situation to choose. I like to say you have to see death before you choose life. Mm. Um Ty, Ty talked about that. Yeah, yeah. How he was on death's doorstep. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, if go get, we do, we do, if you want to call it uh, evangelize, we go to churches, big, small, white, black, purple, yellow, <laughs> and we worship. There's a power in masculine uh, uh, worship. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of draw, and we get a lot of guys from singing at different venues. We get guys from the court system. Basically, guys. Um, basically, guys walk through my door. They know who we are in this city. There's always referrals from families and stuff. So that's basically we uh, get our guys through those. And do they have to like right now? You're at capacity. So if somebody walked through your doors today, what what do you do? If they walk through the door, because there's always now there's a uh, there's always a small waiting list. There's mm -hmm. there's a small waiting list. I, um, when I do get involved today, I was running the whole kit and caboodle back in the days, but you kind of, if a guy's really desperate, you know, you could smell recovery, you could smell desperation. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I'll put him on the sofa. Mm. I'll make if God's ready. I'll make I'll make a way for him to mm. to be able to come in. I love that. Yeah. And so, what does day one look like when somebody comes in? He's going to um, he's going to be interviewed. He's going to go through. Uh, um, it's not. It's relatively short intake process. He's going to be assessed on a number of uh, uh, different things. He's going to be drug tested to see what kind of drugs are in his system. Uh, he goes through that 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 uh, process intake process. Mm -hmm. um, we have 18 apartments. We're residential, so guys are going to live live there the next nine months. He's paired up with a team of guys with a with a group of guys that uh, that he's probably going to fit in well with. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he's indoctrinated with the with the counselors and stuff, and he's he's assigned a counselor, and beginning to put together a treatment team for him, a treatment not only not team but a, a, a treatment plan mm -hmm. for the time that he's going to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, Are most of these men sick when they come in, like physically? Uh, Are they struggling with with withdrawal and? All, all that, all that. Yeah. Now, what we do is we don't detox, but many times we have to send a guy to detox for you know three days or, or maybe even maybe even longer. But that's I think that's the average stay, and then our van will go and pick him up. Where do mm -hmm. they go? Where do where do people detox? There's there's Homeward Bound. I think it's the main one we're using, and I can't think of the. Uh, there's a new one that I believe the uh, mm -hmm. program director is using now. That's rough. Uh, but many times, most of the guys are dehydrated. Most of them mm -hmm. are underweight. Most of them are, you know, and, and then there's the, uh, uh, sometimes they have you know, long-term drug uh, abuse. There's the mental. Yeah. There's the mental. You want to stabilize all of those things simultaneously. So we sure. have we have IPS on site to deal with the mental issues. What I don't know what IPS is. And I'm not going to be able to tell you what the letters stand for. <laughs> but I'm glad. That, yeah, that's bad, huh? Um, no, it uh, actually makes me feel more normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're actually an outside entity <coughs> where we used to use Metro Care. But they basically uh, uh, do a mental assessment. Okay. <coughs> and then it begin, if a guy, thank you, if, if a person needs to be on, um, if they need to be on medication, and you know, many guys have and mm -hmm. stopped. Mm. Uh, and so you get that, that, that stabilized also. And so having those capabilities on site is really huge, really huge. Oh, I'm sure. Are they scared? Do you see fear when they first come in? There's any few. There's sometimes guys are kind of fearful of the military uh, aspect. Um, we are not the United States military, <laughs> but we do need to instill order. So there's a little anxiety sometimes about that. Mm -hmm. um, most of my men, and, and I get some that it's their first shot at formal treatment or recovery, but most of them have been through this uh, 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 attempt mm -hmm. to get recovery before. Mm -hmm. You know, that was something that I thought was really interesting, and I'd love your perspective about it. Um, when Ty talked about how um, how he would wake up and, you know, have a, a sobering thought for a few seconds before he started using again, and he would think to himself in those few mm -hmm. moments before the it began all again is... This is not 
like, I hate this. This is not what I was created mm-hmm. for. This is not what, what I want. And then, but the addiction just yeah. has such a hold on you. It's, it's where you go. Yeah. So it's you, gripping. Yeah. Gripping. gripping. So you don't want to do it. You don't want to, but there's no, there's no way out for you. You can't see a way out. He so couldn't see a way out. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I, I, I'm familiar with Ty's story at a moment. And you have those moments of clarity. Right. I, I believe God has, you, you've heard this, that the God-sized hole inside of yeah. every man. But I, yeah, God is creator. He's the manufacturer. And you're made to to, to be in, in union. Mm-hmm. And so when you're under the bondage of addiction, uh, yeah, you have that. You have that and then you have that those clear moments of, yeah. you know, and they come and you cry out to them. Yeah. And then, and yeah, yeah, we were working in, a, in an apartment complex where he was. And he said, I just prayed the night before, and here you guys are. And yeah, that was, that's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. And just the, the desperation that he sure. talked about. And I'm sure you have lots of versions of, of amazing stories of redemption and recovery. Unbelievable. Yeah. I can't imagine how how beautiful and rewarding and like motivating that must be for you and your staff. It's life. Mm. Me personally, and I, I watch the staff, I, I say this, um, those guys saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna tell you why. I did not know, I'm an only child. Um, and when Karen passed, I didn't know what was next for my life. Mm-hmm. I don't even know sometimes, um, I, 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 if I wanted to go forward, but just just watching God's hand in my life and moving me into ministry, it's a it 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 was a reason to wake up every morning. Yeah. It gave a needed purpose to be able to get up every morning, and God just did that for me. Mm-hmm. And and yes, uh, redemption is so sweet. Yeah, seeing it in in you know it, it, every story, and God does it differently. But he, on the other side of that pain, it's just wonderful to see how God works. Mm-hmm. And so I say this, um, everyone, because you mentioned staff, everyone that God sends there is for the same reason he sent me there to the men in Nehemiah, from staff to client. Mm-hmm. And that was to grow and to continue to heal. Mm-hmm. And I'm clear on it. And so I get to see it in the staff and everybody and still continuing in me. Sure. Yeah. I said to Ty, whether we admit it or not, we're all, we're all in recovery. <laughs> we're all being <laughs> redeemed. We are. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. we acknowledge it or not, or whether we see it or not, or whether we even want it or not. Yeah. You know, we all. I, I we have all. a way of saying it, but I'm always watching how I say what I say. But I say it like this: Everybody has a crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> so true. Yeah, and that's uh, that's where God does His work. Yeah, it is where God does His work. So this is. Um, kind of a left turn, but how's your daughter today? She is doing amazing. Um, I think it was last year she graduated from uh, UTA. Oh, yeah. It was a science University degree. of Texas Arlington. Yes, ma'am. Yep. And um, we have a few more classes, but her goal is to get it right now to get into pharmacy school. So uh, she moved in with me. <laughs> They're all doing that. It's <laughs> the end thing. Uh, I like to fuss, but I, I, mm. it's the having um, 
having her there is the best thing in the world for oh, me. Oh. I love it. How old is she? She is 26. And so, um, yeah, so she's working on that PCAT test and, and all that stuff, getting ready to go to pharmacy school. And ha did you ever remarry? I did not. I did not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just an old fogey. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> well, I noticed you're, the reason I'm asking you, I noticed you wear a ring. So uh, both of, uh, we both, my daughter and I, we wear this ring. Mm -hmm. So we wear this ring. Uh, ironically enough, a few years ago, I started dating. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the road of to recovery. Oh, good for you. Yeah, That's was, not easy. Oh, my God, because I just got married to Nehemiah, and it was so comfortable. Mm. I mean, just through routine. So, you know, in a relationship, you have to. You have to be there to give, and I was giving everything to to Nehemiah, mm -hmm. but I'm doing better. How's dating been? <laughs> <laughs> I wish y'all could see his eyes when he does that. <laughs> you gotta learn everything all over again. Yeah, yeah, and you gotta learn it all over again. So you said you said uh, on you said you were 48. I'm 48. Well, and so I'm 4018. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so imagine starting all over uh, dating. Yeah. And I don't need to say anything else. Yeah, no. Anybody who's ever had to start over. For, and and I do think I, I got divorced um, four plus or so years ago, but and lose I think there's a difference, you know, in starting to date. I mean, mm -hmm. I would imagine, I don't know, I can't speak from experience, but I've always thought, God, that must be really, I mean, it's hard. It's so, <laughs> it is not for the faint of heart to to date in your 40s, 50s, you know, mm -hmm. when you weren't expecting to do that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so whatever the situation or whatever the, the, the reason, but I have often thought, gosh, like, I mean, you were in love, you know, you were, yeah. you were, married nothing was broken you and then I, I think it would be impossible to go out with someone and I mean, I went on a few dates actually with a man who lost his wife and I was like I can't go on another date <laughs> with this guy all he does is talk about how fabulous his wife was yeah, you know yeah. I mean he uh, missed yeah, I made her that mistake. yeah he missed <laughs> her and he should miss her mm -hmm. you know so it, but it takes time. It takes it, time. It, it, it take it takes time. Um, you know, it goes. It, you know, it gets better. It gets easier. Let me say that. Yeah. But it's still there. But you you, you learn. Uh, of course, no woman wants to hear you rant and rave about your. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm never gonna <laughs> be her. Moving on. <laughs> Next. <laughs> That's funny. Oh well, I'm sure it just like you said, just takes some time. It does. Yeah, I used to. Uh, what, well, I, I've lost children and I've lost my mom. And what I, re I remember when people said, you know, and with within time, time will make and I would that would make me angry. <laughs> I would think that's not going to this is, time is not going to do anything for this pain. And I mean, it's just it's just true. Yeah, time does help. It does. People uh, sometimes people are well-meaning. Yes, they are. They're well-meaning. I get that. But um and time does help, and then you have those moments, mm -hmm. and and they pass, mm -hmm. um, and you just and you just wake up another morning, and yeah. you just you know you drink a cup of coffee, and you just keep going on. Yeah, 
and and hopefully, hopefully, um, I, I found God will God will use that pain. Yeah, He will use it for His glory and for yes. uh, for His purposes. If we let it. If, if yeah, if you continue to yeah. if you continue to uh, to seek healing in it. Yeah, because that's where the healing is is in 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 purpose. Yeah. I agree. I believe that if he can use it, if you allow him, like you say, if you allow him to use it, he, you will heal. Yeah. Amen to that. Okay, so let's talk about your recovery. Let's talk about your addiction and your recovery. Okay. So when did, what What was what was your story? What was your journey? My father, Pentecostal pastor, colonel in the United States military, um, I'm an only child. Did I mention PK? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Preacher's kid. Oh. <laughs> and so have every- you heard that before, Kevin? <laughs> I actually did on Chico and Chan. Oh, oh. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> I think so. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So I mean, I've it's never like heard that. a PK is is a kid that the spotlight is on you, mm-hmm. and you better be good for the other kids because your dad's the preacher boy. And you're normally probably the baddest kid. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then being an only child and then a charismatic uh, 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 type setting, it means you go to church six nights a week and then you go hang out at the church on the seventh day of the week. <laughs> and it's just like, and, and, you know, and, and you went through school. We're living in New Orleans then. But then, you know what, I got a music scholarship. And I went to Southern University in Baton Rouge and literally zero identity. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who I was from the man on the moon. And um, I started drinking. And I, I tell a story to the guys sometimes. Um, the first time I actually uh, got drunk or drank, um, it was doing, um, we were in the stands. It was, I think it, it may have been the first or second semester, but even though it couldn't have been, but uh, it was football season. I'm in the stands and the guys are passing around MD 2020. Now you might not know what that is. That's, I don't know That's what a that very is. fine um, wine. <laughs> you know, I'm not telling the truth. This is really <laughs> high alcohol content wine, really, really hood wine. So they're oh. passing around. <laughs> really hood wine. <laughs> Morgan Davids, uh, ma'am. <laughs> but anyway, it just seemed like in retrospect, they were giving me more and more and more and more, you know, and I'm just all gullible. I'm getting the buzz or whatever. <laughs> Never had a buzz before, so I'm drinking and I'm drinking. And it finally came time to get on the field for the halftime show. And, you know, it's, you're, you know, high energy, you're dancing and stuff. And I remember being on the field with a buzz. And it was the best feeling of my life. Mm. Everybody in the stands were looking directly at me mm-hmm. and, you know, with no identity, man, I just, it just was like, man, I'm going to be buzzed for the rest of my life. And I kind of I just walked right through addiction, just right into it. That's all I wanted to do. Wow. And then came. Wow. Yeah. Like you felt at one time and knew that's what I want. That's what I want. Man, can you imagine I was a half decent um, uh, trumpet player, baritone player. And um, the light came on. Wow. The attention, uh, the, the, uh, the, everything I ever saw, it just, the light just came on. Mm. That's scary. That's scary for my kids. Yeah. Like that one drink or one night, one moment could be a defining moment. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I think, I don't know, there's other stories in my past, but from a staunch religion, most, it's ironic, uh, when I, what I see today, most of my guys, somewhere in their, in, in their past, have a religious wound. Mm. And when you seek to, through, through that, uh, that identity with that, and many times re formal mm. religion falls so short. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, personally, I had zero identity. Because people fall short, mm -hmm. even as my parents, as leaders in the church, mm -hmm. and, they, and they fall short. And mm -hmm. so you see parents are God-like, mm -hmm. and so then when they fail, God fails. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to hear, you, you don't want to, so you're seeking, you're seeking. And all my identity was in that routine of charismatic religion, and then that mm -hmm. fell apart. So I'm seeking. Mm -hmm. So when kids have something, in, I, I say it when I'm teaching, when it, when they know that their parents are human mm -hmm. and real and in the struggle and the journey of life, mm -hmm. it gives them a solid ground. Mm. It gives them solid ground. That's mm. great advice. Mm. I think it's really, really true. I, I, uh, I think it's real. I, I have often said that the, one of the most difficult days of my life was the day that I found out my dad was human. Uh, well, Thank you. Yeah. That's my story. Yeah. It was painful because I thought, I thought he didn't do any wrong. I thought he couldn't do anything wrong. You know, he was a, he was a leader in our church as well. And so when he fell, I fell. It was, it was really hard on, on me. And, you know, nobody, nobody should have, we have, we have a God, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> nobody should have that place. And, yeah. you know, I don't think my dad intentionally put himself in that place. But there was something, I think there was something about m my parents, your parents' generation that that didn't allow parents to mess up, that didn't allow yeah. parents to not be perfect, yes. that didn't allow, that they did not say they were sorry, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I... I tell my kids I'm sorry every every chance yeah. I get. That's good. Yeah, that's it good. is good. I like you said that there's an aspect to it that's generational, mm -hmm. um, and 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 we should we should be uh, beyond that. Parents should know that. Yeah, and that's uh, great uh, that you say you're sorry and look I, look I went left I messed up on this one mm -hmm. today, and um, yeah, yeah, because we do. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way you don't suck sometimes as as a human, let alone parent. Parenting and is the hardest thing we we do, and it's okay. Yeah, it's for sure. Okay, I didn't know that. I don't know. Like you say, generational, but um, uh, society needs to know that, and yeah. it's huge. It's huge in the development uh, of kids and stuff, especially with this the proliferation of uh, opiates and just looks like the drug problem is getting huger and huger. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I like to say it's not it, drug drug it's not the it's not the uh, the problem, it's the answer. Mm -hmm. and, and, and and so when people disconnect God, from life, God, that's a powerful thing yeah. to say. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's a really powerful thing to say. Yeah. It for a lot of people it is. Because yeah. we we disengage from life. Yeah. We and so we're looking for something to feel. Yep. help us with life and so when you yep. look at it that way but th there's some commonality with all 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 my guys mm -hmm. from the family wounds to the religious wounds to the heart wounds the mother wound mm -hmm. and um, you see it mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm sure you see it all 
Mm-hmm. So you begin this this life of wanting to be buzzed. And what what does that look like? How does that go? It goes. I've had. Uh, I, I basically was a binger. I, I've had great jobs. I went into the military. I was in military intelligence. I've had a, a, a potential career. I thought I'd be fast tracked to CIA. You know, and uh, my drinking showed up. Um, I've had jobs with Fortune 500s entry-level management jobs with Goodyear and all this stuff, and my life was going to change, and then a binge would come along. And then um, I'd have bouts uh, where a binge would go for eight months or a year. Wow. Yeah, and I'd end up in very dark places on the street. I just would check out check out a life. And so did you lose all those opportunities because of alcohol? Drugs. It might. Uh, I, I, progr- I progressed from that to okay. uh, the normal progression to marijuana, and then it didn't matter uh, what it was. I would try anything. Wow. To not feel, actually, if just not to feel, because when I didn't feel, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so then came the uh, in the early '80s. You know, it, it was really cool to freebase. Uh, cocaine, you know, it was like kind of. What's I don't know what free base. Free base is just uh, purifying. I've pure. heard it in a song. <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. <laughs> well, it's just pure, uh, either uh, snorting or uh, once you you and then you you cook it down to pure cocaine. But I only mention it because what happens in the by the time you get to the uh, earlier eighties and then the mid eighties. And then it was just some synthetic uh, uh, variation, and that's what they call crack. And it just was a gutter, a street mm-hmm. derivative of of, of cocaine, mm-hmm. very very cheap, but just super intensive. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I went down that trail. Of course, I went the acid and the mescaline and all that, all that. But um, ultimately, the just the street drug just of crack just brought me brought me to my knees. Wow. So you, what is it? What is an eight-month, year-long binge look like? <laughs> you give yourself to the streets. So but you became homeless. Oh yeah. So and so, okay, you're living in an apartment one day or at home one day, and and then all of a sudden you become homeless. Like how does how do you transition from being in a home? To being on the street, like I can't. I, I'm a, clearly, I, I've I've not struggled with addiction, so I know that it's addiction that takes you there. But tell tell me, tell us about how the, how does that? How do you? I can't imagine anything taking me to the streets. I can't imagine living on the streets because of because of an addiction. So how does that? The addiction drives you. It 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 grips you. It is the it's, it's the reason for your existence. You have to continue to get high, to almost live. I mean, it, it there's no out. It has a it's like the iron grip on your psyche, your mind, your spirit. Um, what do you do? You you because you, you live. You're living every waking moment. You're living for more. Mm. To go home means no more. Mm. And so you give yourself over to the hustle of more. 
and, 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 and you got to have a hustle. That is, how am I going to make money? That's where oh, you see our prisons are filled with people in, in petty crime to whatever it you need to do to get more. It's funny because there's a, this is going to sound even crazier to you, but there's a large portion of a, a, of a homeless or addicted person. There's only a small portion of the time you're actually getting high. Most of it is either scheming, working, waiting, uh, stealing, whatever it is to get high. So the there's hustle. A, the hustle. Mm -hmm. And you give yourself over to the hustle or the potential if there's a 24-hour day, you might get high two hours of that day. The rest of the waking hours are waiting, waiting on the dope man, waiting on the dope to come, waiting on the, uh, the hope, waiting on something to happen that you might be able to. And that's just how gripping, mentally gripping that is. How did you, what was your hustle? Is that how you, oh. you would ask that question? <laughs> Is this where I'm Don't laugh cut, at me. This is where I'm going to say, cut the tape. No, uh, check this out. I, I, uh, uh, I'm eclectic. I had quite a few hustles in my day. Tell us about your hustles. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Check this out. I, I, um, I ended up getting with some bad guys that uh, used to steal trucks, and there used to be a lot of stuff inside of trucks. Um, they were actually doing the truck thing. Um, uh, you'd sell that petty stuff. I'd go in the stores and take stuff. Um, it got so bad. One time, I, I did the um, I did the check thing, I did the forgery, mm -hmm. uh, a forgery mm -hmm. thing. Many times for me, I, I, I was no real. I, I I grew up a church kid. I was no real thug, mm -hmm. and so a lot of times, uh, uh, sorry sorry to admit, but my my crimes were against my my loved ones, my family. Mm -hmm. Many of the times, um, so I guess I um, I've broken into my parents' house, and um, yeah, I. It, so I guess it was for me, it was, um, if you you know my name, you can pull my record. But it was just basically a lot of petty, uh, petty uh, crimes against those that were closest to me and um, just to, to keep it going. So did you spend time in jail? I did, uh, several times. Uh, and there's a progression there too. First time I ever went, it was actually my father trying to really say, um, boy, you're going to go to jail if you keep down this, uh, um, this, this path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was like a six-month stay, and then, you know, I stole some stuff out of stores, and then you get a couple of years over time. And I think the longest I've ever stayed in jail at one time was, uh, it was four years, and that was actually for the, uh, for the forgery mm. uh, that I was uh, doing. And, um, yeah. And so what motivated you to stop? You know, in the, um, eventually my father is the one that started the Men of Nehemiah in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, that started, there's another story, but it started because he wanted to help me. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and he knew Jesus and he knew the military. Mm -hmm. And um, kept working there. I would work there. I've actually, you know, worked with him running that program, and I began to, it was a process over years for me, but I began to, I was even working with guys back then, 
but I just couldn't hold on to recovery. Mm -hmm. But I got the premise. I got the premise of, of, of God's love. I got the premise on the healing in the framework of healing. And seeds so, were planted. Seeds were planted. I'm a, I'm a hard not to break. But the love of God is, 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 is I believe, is relentless. It just I never it has, it never, God never gave up on me. Mm -hmm. Never. So what made you change for good? What was the catalyst for you turning your back on it for good? In retrospect, if I was totally honest, I'd say Karen's death. Wow. This, the, the, uh, I had some recovery. I had some recovery when she died, but you ever heard people getting clean and say, yeah, he's going to go back right. eventually. Sure. And um, I'm not doing the what ifs, but clearly once, um, once, God, once God called her home, clearly, um, the combination of not wanting, not wanting to die um, without, without a legacy, not wanting to die with the disappointment because my parents and my wife gave their life loving on me. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't want the final chapter. I wanted them to know. I know you're not, so it's always supposed to be, you got to get recovery for yourself. And that's it. Uh, but there's uh, even bigger things. There's even bigger things. Um, my daughter. Um, and no, no, I wasn't going to let the last chapter of my life uh, be the possibility of going back to addiction. Mm. And so we just used that um, incredible amount of pain. Um, um, and it, it just bore out Nehemiah. Wow. Did you struggle with addiction while you were married? Oh, God, yes. God, yes. And she stayed. That's the miracle. Because, believe it or not, I was, um, I, I like to tease people. People always, they give me a hard, uh, you know, this is a red state and all that stuff like that. But when I'm teaching, I said, I had so much potential. I was supposed to be Barack Obama. <laughs> Oh no, you know, for real, for real, for real, for real, man. And so you're better than that. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. But you, you're not feeling me. Okay, you're missing the point. Check this out. No, I like, I like him. I just like you more. <laughs> oh God. And so all that potential, you know, potential gone to the to the grave is the worst thing in the world mm. is the worst thing. say in the world. that again that is yeah. so good yeah potential you know because i get to see these guys and the yep. talent level you would not believe the giftedness uh, of god mm. the bible said that he descended to hell uh doing the doing his resurrection but then as he ascended to heaven he he distributed gifts unto men and 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 and, and i get to see it it's crazy and to see that potential never come to fruition. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 um, I've had some of the most talented guys in the world come through and, 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 and I've seen guys die, so many die in their addiction. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, what, that's what I mean. Uh, I'm, coming, uh, I'm coming out of high school, I had all this potential and stuff like that and I became a, a, a street drug addict. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why it, it, 
we try to we try to get guys that, to get into purpose. Yeah. More so than the, even more so than employment. You got to work. Mm -hmm. You don't work. You don't eat. Mm -hmm. But purpose in, in, in your God's given purpose is the ultimate. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So how old were you when you got married, and how did you meet Karen? Yeah, uh, I was. Um, I love that smile. I, <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I was, um, uh, I think we got married at 27. But I, I met Karen in seventh grade <laughs> at Nakar uh, uh, Junior High School. Um, and yeah, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay, so she's walking down the hallway. And what are we, 12 years old? And you know how girls at 12 years old carry their books, they carry them like that? <laughs> and girls at 12 years old have big heads and big knees. <laughs> and she, she was the most gorgeous thing in the world to me. Aww. And so I think I had a class with uh, 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 someone that knew her sister, actually. And because um, yeah, they were in different grades. I don't know how that worked out. But um, I started liking her in seventh grade. Um, eventually, she went to another high school. Um, but then after or during college, we re we re back, re got back reconnected. reconnected. How how did you reconnect? I was um, going to college in Baton Rouge. She was she was working like steamship company. I get off the bus from Baton Rouge. I got my bags. I'm in college. She's working at a company in the downtown New Orleans. So I get off the Greyhound bus, get on the bus. Karen was drop dead gorgeous. So the bus is crowded because it's evening time. I walk to the back of the bus and she's sitting there. I hadn't seen her in years. Stop. And check this out, man, in front of God. Check this out. Nobody's sitting next to her. <laughs> dude, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Did I, and I, dude, and I got all these, but the bus is crowded. I think she was too pretty for anybody to dare sit next to her. Aww. And so I sit next to her and then booyah. Oh. Yeah, because I didn't, I was like, yeah, I, I was a god, man. I had, a, <laughs> I had an eight-pack. <laughs> Look, he's laughing over there. <laughs> no, and that's, and, and um, oh. you know, we just kind of started dating there. And, um, yeah, she, the trip was that she never, uh, of course, we dated a long time. Um, we got married, but she never stopped believing in me. Oh. She never stopped believing in me. So yeah, through that's love. Before, yeah, that's love. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be here. Mm. I wouldn't be here. So for a binger, and you just go all the way to the in, edge of death, because I, I could never do anything a little bit. I'm just mm. not wired that way. And so I get to the edge of death, and then she loved me back. She loved me back. Oh. Loved me back to life. Dang, that's a special woman. That's a really special woman. Yep. <laughs> oh, how many years were you married? What is that? Uh, officially married, I think 22, 23, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there. We were together for, I don't know. Long time. But yeah, even before marriage. Yeah. Wow. So what's what's the best thing? Well, let's talk. Let's, well, I don't want to ask that yet. What's What's the hardest thing about what you do? Uh, uh, I don't know. 
it, it's so funny because Nehemiah's in such flux. It's, it's transition now. It's growing. God has truly blessed this ministry. Um, and you said the worst thing? No, the best. The or no, sorry. I, I want the worst first, and then I want the best. Yeah, the hardest, not the worst. Maybe what's just the, the hardest. hardest. What are the biggest? What's the biggest challenge with your, with your men? With the men working with the men, the hardest, uh, or the hardest of the hardest challenge. You know, this uh, this a uh, old uh, black Southern thing. You may not feel this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's 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 hard because you know something because I'm I'm. I walked through addiction for like 20 some years, almost 25 years. And so they used to say, old folk used to say, boy, I see death on you. I see death on you. And you can, um, being an addict, and, and, and I've been around the block, so what happens is you can see a guy making death decisions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to, you either have to, uh, in the past, you either have to uh, uh, ask him to leave you have to let him go, uh, and you have to watch him and almost know, um, and almost know he's choosing death. Mm -hmm. And many times, you 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 these guys these guys die in their addiction. And um, you know God gave us grace, and we didn't die. I made those death decisions so many times, and so when you have to say, dude, you got to go back out and get some more pain. And you might not make it back. Wow. And and sometimes, um, and it's not, and guys, sometimes people and guys get it twisted. This is not an opinion. This ain't no opinion, boy. I'm telling you, the likelihood, if only by the grace of God, are you going to get another chance. Mm -hmm. and, and and sometimes you, it, it's difficult. And then, and then you end up having a relationship with them. And then you end up liking them and loving them. And you can't. It's still on the person. Yeah. And, and that can be, it's hard sometimes. It's got to be really hard. So what's the best, what's the best part of being with the men? See, seeing, seeing the light, seeing the light come on, mm -hmm. seeing life come back. Mm -hmm in their spirit, in their countenance, in every, and it's like, oh man, and, they, and they're loving life again. Yeah, they have hope. Uh, yeah, they have hope. Hope Hope is back. it, hope is in the eyes. You can you can see it, you know, the eyes are the lamp of the body, and you see, you see like, whoa. And it doesn't, you know, okay, so I heard a guy say this, and I've stole it ever since. <laughs> um, there was some cats when Jesus made uh, 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 water in the wine, Everybody got drunk, right? But only a couple of folk that picked up the barrels and was pouring the water into the other vats actually saw, actually saw the miracle. You know, there was water at one second. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what the staff, that's what I get to, you know, being down there, mm. there's nothing in the world like that. I can't, I can't even, I, I mean, it makes me so jealous for your job. Lord, you, you, you can come on down. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I yeah, mean, I, the, the best. you know, Melinda and, and Mike, who uh, I met you and Ty through, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, she, the transformation that I've seen in her and Mike and their family just by working with your group has just, and, and it's not like they needed a big 
transformation. <laughs> I mean, they've <laughs> always been beautiful people, yeah. but I, you know, light, light grows and attracts light. I mean, it yeah. just, it just does. Yeah, they were, they, they're, they're amazing. They were amazing when I met them. And then even now, it's funny. It, it's funny because, um, let me tell you, I'm a, I'm a pain guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a pain guy, but I'm a purpose on the other side of pain. Mm -hmm. But the, one of the greatest, one of the biggest phenomena I've seen with the men of Nehemiah is what it's done to bring this Dallas community to together. Mm. Just the likelihood of, uh, you know, we're separated yeah. by race, we're separated by yep. economics, we're sec separated by, by, yep. by I-30. <laughs> yeah, yes we are. And, and, and so. And 75. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing. I'm just amazing because, um, like I said, I was making funny with uh, the light comes in or, or God uses the crack. But pain, whether you got a, a billion dollars or or you got a tent underneath the bridge, pain is pain. Yep. And it it, it the brokenness it is what. And so I just said, I seen it bring people together. Mm -hmm. And I I love that. I love that. Because mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm, I'm like. Wow, God! Can you see it? Can you see it even in the billionaire? I can. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because the, he he feels pain when the billionaire um, loses his child, or mm -hmm. or or you know, or something mm -hmm. devastating mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. in his life. I believe that's why Jesus' death was so excruciating because that's the mechanism. Because money can't do it. It can't solve that pain when it right. happens. Right. Only the healing that God has brought forth through his son. And so that's why. Um, and I think even today, you know, I get on my political horse, but even the, uh, the division to, in today's, in, in this country, the body of Christ is going to heal it. Yeah. And it's going to take and he's going to use pain mm -hmm. to bring his, his, his believers together. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's what brought me to him. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. It really is. I mean, I have the relationship that I have today with Jesus because of my pain. And, and I wouldn't trade it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade it, even though at the time, you know, I wanted to know why. Why I had to, why do I have to feel this? There's a whole bunch of people around me who are never going to feel this, you know. And then look what, what we go, look what we got today yeah. in the platform that you have that brings forth healing. Yeah. And yeah. Without experience. Yeah. Tell me, um, last thing before we go, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. You know, I, um, my, I, my addiction was long, long and dark. I chose it over, over my wife. I chose it over my parents. I chose it over everything. And um, there was no hope for me. There was literally no hope. Nothing redeemable. Nothing redeemable. And I don't talk about it, but I still kind of trip because I think I was, um, is the, is the side that you're not supposed to do or say as a Christian. But I still think if I had been better, that um, my wife wouldn't have had to work two jobs. And, work and, and all this stuff you know sometimes you go to the dark place sure. um and so god called my parents home and god called her home but jesus god saw something redeemable in somebody like me 
the consummate mess up. And not only, not only did he give me life, but he, people think I'm somebody. I get credit for stuff. I get to live today. I drive. I'm like a regular person if you really <laughs> didn't know me. And you guys said, you start laughing early. There's so much gravy going on in my life. <laughs> I'm a homeowner. I have, you know, people, I mean, and I go around and I mean, God loves me. God loves me. <laughs> God loves me like like retarded ways, man. And I'm just I'm just grateful. And, and God literally bought me back. He redeemed my soul. And I'm eternally grateful for it. And that's all I want to do. That's all I do is tell my testimony. And um, that's what my relationship looks like. I don't have anything else that he bought me back. So if I'm in Walmart, my daughters don't want to walk with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. You don't want to go anywhere with me. <laughs> I'm telling you. Because, because you know that model with Roger and stuff, what happened in the store. So you don't go to the store to buy toothpaste and toilet paper. I go to find out the person that I'm in there that I'm supposed to meet. You got to leave out with because you need toilet paper, of course. <laughs> but um, I'm just like wacky because I'm grateful. And that's my, in a nutshell, I'm just unbelievably grateful. Well, you're, you're so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that I got to meet you. And Thank you, ditto. so thankful that you shared what you shared with all of us today. Just make such you already just made such a i'm gonna get in my car and cry <laughs> I mean, you're just the sweetest sweetest difference maker so thank you for sharing so much today thank you so much for having <laughs> me this has been great well god bless you and god bless men of nehemiah how can we how can we support you how can we give how can we how can we help the men of nehemiah you can you can always keep us in your prayers. Keep we're on the forefront of spiritual warfare. Keep us in your prayers. Um, we have a fundraiser every year. Uh, we're having a concert on October seventeenth. Where's the concert? It's going to be at Gateway Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about jam, man. I'm coming. You better be there. I'll be square. October seventeenth. Where do we get tickets? Um, you can go to themenandnehemiah.org. You you can call up you can call up the uh, organization. Okay, just um, Google it. Men of just Nehemiah, Google Dallas. Men of Nehemiah. Okay. Um, keep us in your prayers. Uh, we'd love you to support us. If you have someone that uh, may be in your family that's sick and suffering, uh, men need men to love on them. Yep. Yep. And so um, that's our message. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Remedy with Povacito. To get more information, sponsor an episode, or contribute to this program, visit us online at povacito.com slash podcast or find us on social media.